Hello, welcome back to the Sound of the Antics podcast. He's Matt. I'm Sam. He puts the M in S and M, and I put the B in LGBTQ plus, and that's <laughs> just the way it is. <laughs> oh well, yeah. I of all the ones I thought you might do, that wasn't one of them. I did think about pointing out that I've been constantly ill for like three weeks. Uh, well, but... they don't know that because last week I just said unforeseen circumstances. Yeah, the unforeseen circumstances were I was incredibly ill. Again. Until, <laughs> again, until about the Friday. And then I thought, fuck it. I'm going to continue with my plans for the weekend. And I did. And I ended up going from Southampton to Bristol to Manchester, back to Southampton um, from Bristol. And... I don't know whether I've picked up another illness while oh, sat in the cold in Old Trafford. Don't do it, Sagoa. What's or, wrong with you now? I don't. I've. I've got. I didn't even like know this. Thing. I told you this. I, Did I you? This, when I put this in the group, I put this in the group with um, Young Glenavere. I don't read the group Jesus, chat. I know you don't. That's why I constantly have to like at you. At so me. On, <laughs> on Facebook, you can mute groups, obviously, until you at the person, then they get the alert. Um, yeah. that's the only way I can get news that is going on in the group to Matt because yeah. he constantly has it on silent. But we'll go into that in a bit, Sagora. Yes. But to start with, welcome back to the Sound Antics podcast, you, Sagora. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what episode number are we on? I don't know. 64? Which one, 64. What was it last week? 64. 64 Zoo Lane. Oh, <laughs> what a, what a programme. What he a programme. love that. Oh, that was um, banger of a program, wasn't it? Here we are, Sagroa. We are almost into the second week of December. Christmas is more than just around the corner now. In fact, we are into the second week of December. Yes. How are you doing, Sausage? Uh, other than ill, I'm farting rainbows, my brother. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, just, I'm fed up being constantly ill, and it's just having no energy do anything my voice sounds okay now but when i woke up this morning um yeah i was in full-blown like block nose and stuff but i've been taking paracetamol and things um and yeah it's been constantly ill i did obviously have last weekend i went up to manchester as i mentioned and watched uh the love of my life alessia russo score another goal of course um and yeah really really good game loved it that was um, at Old Trafford, wasn't it? It was, and I was about f- uh, five rows up from the front, and can right I next ask, to the tunnel. Can I ask a question, Sir Grubb? You can indeed. As this is the one stadium that we have both been to. Yeah. You're a tall man. Incredibly tall. How was your uh, knees? Uh, the station sitting... got cut to my ankles, <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> Old Trafford is such a bad stadium for if you're yeah. a tall man, honestly. The worst was, like, two weeks ago, I went to the Emirates, um, like, after, before Old Trafford. Yeah. And it's one of those stadiums that kind of is more of a gradual um, height increase mm. type thing. So when I was sat in the seats at the Emirates, I had loads of room. And I was loving it. I actually had some, like, leg room at Old yep. Trafford. Wow, my feet were going. My I couldn't decide if my feet were cold because it was cold, or the circulation just been completely just cut off. See, when when I went to Old Trafford, it was I uh, twenty seventeen, I think twenty seventeen eighteen. Um, I went for soccer aid, mm. and um, luckily the people that I went with 
um, one of them that was supposed to come with us um, dropped out at the last minute. Yeah. Um, which is a blessing because that meant that I could then shrivel my uh, legs. Shrivel your what? <laughs> That's not the right <laughs> word, is it? No. <laughs> What's the word I'm thinking of? Curl? Yeah, Move. we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Angle. <laughs> I had to move my legs round. Yes. Swi- swivel. Swivel, swivel. Shrivel. <laughs> shrivel is what's happening to most men at the moment uh, in this cold weather. <laughs> um, oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. <sighs> yes. Old Trafford is a very old stadium. Um, Emirates is one of the newest stadiums, it's a really, really new stadium, and it's just it's beautiful. Old Trafford, it needs a lot of money invested into it. It's just, it's just old. There's no other way to describe it, Matt Dyer. Um, but yes, other than that, what else happened this week? Logistics is fucked. Um, yeah. Train strikes, they're going to be oh, interesting over the Christmas Jesus period, Christ. aren't they? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, genuinely, genuinely, I don't know how I'm going to get up to my parents and back. Like, I, as in, by this time, I've usually booked a ticket for return. I know exactly where I'm going, exactly when I'm coming back. It's up in the air. I don't, I well, honestly don't I know. Don't, it's difficult. So, on the line we have in Leighton Buzzard, the West Coast main line, if it's the RMT union, which is most of the, the time, militia, the militia, most of the time it is them, mm-hmm. uh, you are okay. There are trains that run like every half an hour. But only until like only from like seven AM till like five PM. Um yeah. so you can get here. Um, but I don't know what the situation is with the RMT on 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 your line from Eastley and Southampton. It's about it's about the same. It's it's a tricky um it's a tricky one to think about though, because I look at the trains now and I think, okay, there's about three or four trains an hour. If mm. they cut it down to two, I'm fine. But then it's making sure I get the train that goes to Clapham. Clapham Junction. However, will they run the line that goes from Clapham to Watford Junction? Or is that uh, going to be completely scrapped again? London Overground. Or do uh, I get the Overground, which is the other option? So yeah, that's the, that's... Uh, that's a problem that future Sam, as in Sam next week, will have to think out, think about. Yes, um, well, Matt Dyer can hold your hand with that situation because I am, as we know, the train god. Yes, I'm uh, actually travelling up on a strike day though. Oh, so Cropper, why would you do that? Because it's the one that makes sense. It's this this is the Saturday, the seventeenth. Yeah, that's when I'm looking at moving, going up. Yeah, that's the... I'm <laughs> No, I'm not going to mum's on that day, but I am going out on the 17th to see my, um, my nan and my cousin. Um, but it's also, tricky. the 17th is when the really cold and lots of snow is yeah. due on the 17th. So what I'm saying, Sagora, is... Don't travel. Don't travel. <laughs> Very much. Um, then coming back, I'm coming back on the 27th, so it's it's not a strike day, I don't think. No, no, it's not a strike day, but it's a day after a strike day. Um, so I, I don't know what the situation is going to be, but I think it's going to be a four-changer four, four changer 
to get to Southampton. Because oh. it will be changed to Watford, change at Watford. Uh, no, sorry, change at, yeah, change at either Harry and Wilston or change at Watford. Goes to Wilson Junction, change there, goes to Clapham, change at Clapham. Um, Hell. So yeah. yeah, but this is what you have to do during the holidays is see your family, Madai. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Anyway, Madai, enough about me. Enough mm. about my woes. Enough about the struggles of the everyday man who does not drive. <laughs> Madai, <laughs> how the devil have you been, Sausage? Uh, 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 hmm. Yes, it's been. I yes. <laughs> Why don't we take a look? Uh, I am. Uh, I have not been great. I mm. have been overdoing things far too much, and I kind of burnt myself out a bit. And that's not even work related. That's Life. just everything going on at the moment. Um, yeah. There is a lot happening. There's a lot going on. Yes. Um, and as such, this may, I, I haven't 100% double checked. Double checked? No, I haven't confirmed if this is the situation yet. But mm. this may be the last Sound Antics episode I am in until the Christmas special. Yeah. Which we will pre-record anyway. Yeah, but we've, so, already, we've already spoken about this, but yes. Yes, so you may not have me live on the podcast until the new year, um, just because I need to take a step back from... Yeah. I, I, need to take, I need to take some me time. Mm-hmm. And by me time, I mean literally just actually trying to go to bed at a decent hour, trying to just relax after getting home from work um i think from yeah. an outs- from like your friends from a point of view of obviously me being one of your best friends not the best friend don't worry i know that no you're i mean you're I'm, you're uh yeah, i don't even know where you are on the list so Robert. <laughs> i made the list that's all that matters you're on the list i don't know where um but yeah so obviously from a business point of view we've done the right thing in in the, the the move that we've made and you hosting um Murderly Wrote. Which is available now on all streaming platforms. Hashtag ad. Um but the 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 things that come along with that, which I don't think people realise, is when we are doing these podcasts and when we've got because we have such a standard, we have a standard that we need to meet and standard that we want all of the podcasts that we are associated with to meet. So for context on that, um on the Murderly Rope podcast this week, the episode that went live on... No, hang on. We <laughs> pre-record this. So, it's going the, Murderly, the Murderly Rope episode from last week, episode four, in which I uh, spoke about 7-7, the London bombings. Yeah. We pre-recorded that on the Thursday or Friday of the previous week before that. Mm. And when I was editing it over the weekend, well, that was the first part of my kind of spiral because I was yeah. editing that. I was having to edit Summer. I was mm-hmm. having to do something else and I was doing something else. And I very quickly realized that I was getting annoyed with myself when I was listening to my voice. And mm-hmm. basically, I was really unhappy with how I sounded 
on yeah. on the case. And because it was such an important case to me, I wanted to make sure that I sounded the, the best I could so that I could at least, you know, you know, yeah. yeah. So that's the Murderly Wrote episode went live on the Wednesday. We recorded it on the Tuesday night. And I did an entire edit Tuesday night mm. for it to go live on Wednesday. It's it's difficult to because obviously I knew that you had you did a pre-record part of it, and it's difficult for me to then just like step in and and and, and do anything because like we like we always say, we are so passionate about these podcasts and we're so passionate because it's part of our lives and it's in, entwined in our life in the real world. We have people coming up to us and talking to us about the, pro- the podcast face to face. And for us to do something like a pre-record, like a re-record, sorry, as something as drastic as that, we, that is because we are holding ourselves to that standard and the standard that we've set on the podcasts that we've been involved in. So yeah. for you two, obviously, have to have done that pre, the pre-record, then listen to it, to edit it, to then re-record. That is not us doing that for fun. That is now us taking a business mind and saying, "Look, this content we want to put out is not to a standard that we want to, so we're going to do it again." And it's a difficult decision to come to, and especially when it's something as important and as close to your heart as. Seven seven for years. Um, yeah. So yeah, so this may or may not be the last live episode. Well, I say live, but you know, mm. recorded the week before you hear it. Uh, yeah. Episode you'll hear me this year. Um, I haven't fully decided. So if you do hear me next week, fantastic! Great news for you. Or I'm going to trick everyone and get the Matt Dyer soundboard (laughs) and you're going to be there anyway. Let's not get bogged down with who's got sayings and who hasn't, Segura. Yes. Let's, for now, crack on with the rest of this week's podcast. What's what's that? What? Sorry, sorry. I, I do apologise, dear listeners. There's something appeared on my screen. Um, it looks to be. Is that Hugh Edwards? No, it's not. No, it looks to be a man, and he's he's he sat at a desk, uh, with some papers in front of him. Uh, but I can't quite work out who it. It's Matt Dyer. It's Matt Dyer. He's back, and he. <laughs> Has some more funny news stories. <laughs> Matt Dyer. That was the greatest. <laughs> Please take it away. Oh, that was the greatest, greatest bit of acting you've ever done. <laughs> oh, hello everyone. Here we are again, and um, no Angry Man reviews this week. Sorry, I'm too angry at myself to be bothered about being angry about anything else. Um, so, so Gabriel, I've got a. Three very different uh, 
funny style weird news articles okay. uh, to read today. Uh, choose one, two, or three. Uh, I'll take three, please, Hugh. Okay. Uh, this one is the worst one, so thank you. I'll, I'll take one. <laughs> no, no, no. We do the worst one first, and then we end okay. on the good one. Okay, cool. This one is entitled British Man Changes Name to Celine Dion After Getting Drunk in Lockdown. Christ. Yeah. A British man, formerly known as Thomas Dodd, has reportedly changed his name to Celine Dion. And it's all coming back to him now as to how it happened. <laughs> that was a good one, Sagora, because that's the name of her, one of her songs. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, the video's private. Oh, okay. There we go. Anyway. Oh, God. What Dodd. Uh, there was a, a video of the song It's All Coming Back to Him Now. Yeah. Mm. Dodd told Birmingham Live that he had had a few too many alcoholic beverages while watching a recording of a Dion concert and filed to change his name as a result. I'm slightly obsessed with her! I'm not gonna lie! Bloody hell, what the fuck accent was that? I don't know. He said to the Quebec superstar singer, During lockdown, I've been watching a lot of live concerts on TV. I can only think... Oh, fucking advert came up. Sorry, Sagora. Yeah, wait, wait. Uh, I've been watching a lot of live adverts on TV. <laughs> I can only think I've been watching one of hers and had a great idea after oh. a few drinks. <laughs> no. The 30-year-old hospitality worker lives in Tamworth, Staffordshire, and mm. saw Celine Dion live in Birmingham in 2019. Dodd says he received the official paperwork in the mail a few days after Christmas. <laughs> They're obviously not striking that year, Sagrora. And apparently paid £89 for the change, as well as multiple copies of the letter proving it's real. Dodd legally changed his name by deed poll and can be used the new monkey or what? Mon Monica. Monica, there we go. Monica. And can be used the new Monica on a passport, driving license, and other official documents. The That's new think about it. The new Celine Dion says he's not planning on changing it back right away. I'll figure it out. I'm not rushing to... I don't know what accent. I'm just doing a variety of really shit accents. I'm I not even sure. Yeah, but you're doing that, but all at the same time. <laughs> all coming out at the same time. <laughs> I didn't think that was actually possible, but somehow, Nor did I, but I'm, I'm witnessing somehow, it live. I found a way. I'll figure it out. I'm not rushing to change it back. That's for sure. I tried singing Celine in the shower this morning, and I can assure everyone I haven't inherited her voice, neither her bank balance. <laughs> A representative for Celine herself did not respond to the Huffington Post Canada's request for comment, but we can assume she'll accept the tribute because... That's the way it is. 
that was another little song at the end there. So good for. <laughs> oh, I thought that was a copyright infringement of Sam Antics podcast. So there we go, Sakura. That's the uh, that's the first article there. Um, Interesting. I can honestly say I have never, ever got that drunk. It reminds no. me of um. Do you, do you know Joe Lysett? He changed his name to. Was it? It was like Calvin Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss. Yeah. Yeah, and he did that as a joke, and then he changed it back eventually. I just think what a waste of money. Anyway, so Robert, that was um, yes. that was the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, number one or number two? Which one would you want next? Um, go number one, please. Okay. Gwent Police spends £40,000 on crime-fighting tuk-tuks. Jesus wept. A Welsh police force has spent nearly £40,000 on four tuk-tuks, which it says will help them fight crime. The three wheelers, which are commonly used as taxis in Asia, will be driven by officers and council and ambassadors, according to Gwent Police. It unveiled the initiative earlier this month and said they would patrol parks and other public areas in Newport and the Abergavenny day and night. Sorry, that should say Newport and Abergavenny. You got it right the first time. I don't know why I struggled now. (laughs) Abergavenny day and night. Abergavenny. He is. The force said they would provide safe spaces. No, sorry, I've read that wrong. Another classic bad eye line. Oh, fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) Honest, right, so your homework between now and whenever is to write me a list of all the famous Matt Dyer lines. (laughs) I'll, I'll give it a week so it's not as offensive to you, but yes, okay. Okay. The force said... They would provide safe spaces where people could seek help, report incidents, or get crime prevention advice. Each of the electric tuk-tuks cost £9,936. Oh, fucking much! Or, 30, or 39744 in total. Jesus, couldn't think of a bigger waste of money, could you? The cash came from home, the Home Office's Stafer Streets programme. However, the chances of seeing a tuk-tuk in a Hollywood-style chase around the streets of southwest Wales are slim, as they have had their top speeds limited to just under 35 miles an hour. What the fuck's the point in them? The feedback was over- overwhelmingly positive, with parents telling officers that they would feel safer knowing that there was some support for young people out at night, said Chief Inspector Damien Sowry. But some people commenting online were not so complimentary, suggesting that they would make the force a laughingstock and could even end up stolen, vandalised, or set alight. I mean, that's just the UK over, isn't it? I mean, that is literally what happens in the UK to normal police cars. Hmm. Oh, this one you can actually push over. Instead of cow tipping in Wales or sheep tipping, I don't know what they do. There'll be um tuk tuk pushing, <laughs> tuk tuk tipping. So there we go, Sagrabot. There's uh there's the second one. 
40 grand on tuk-tuks in Wales. What's your... Honestly, I could not think of a bigger waste of money. Oh, well, other than the um, bonuses for MPs. Other than them, Mm. I couldn't think of anything worse. Anything a bigger waste of money. It is a mystery, Sagrava. It is a mystery. Shall we crack on? How could a tuk-tuk cost so much money when they are like the, the taxis of the lesser economically strong countries uh because these ones are electric and electric cars cost i suppose suppose you put wales in that category though don't you yes yes Uh, i'll Uh, have number two now please sue well yes sakura i think you'll like this one right let's go surgeons discover five inch sex toy in woman's vagina that had been there for 10 years um, initial on. initial reaction. That's not um something you would not feel in inside of you. I would assume. Well, yes. So then, again, then again, when you <laughs> no, no, carry on. No. What were you gonna say? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> no, no. Carry okay. on, carry on. Proceed. A Scottish woman walked around with a five-inch sex toy inside her. Wait, wait, she's Scottish. She's Scottish. Yes. Okay, carry on. Yeah, we know. Yeah, it's fine. It's normal now. A Scottish woman walked around with a five-inch sex toy inside her for ten years without realising doctors have reported. Ten years! The the 38-year-old woman arrived at a hospital complaining of severe weight loss Shaking and leth- lethargy, lethargy, lethargy. Lethargy, I think. I like don't being even lethargic. Know. Yes, lethargy. She had also experienced mild incontinence for a few weeks. Okay. On further examination, doctors were shocked to discover a strange foreign body protruding in her bladder. From her vagina. Oh, God. Surgical... Surgical removal of the item at Aberdeen Royal Infirmary revealed it to be a 5-inch, 11-centimetre long sex toy. Medical staff were even more taken back when the woman revealed she had used the sex toy with her partner 10 years ago. Oh, she, no. also, she also admitted she was under the influence of alcohol at the time and claimed she couldn't remember removing it or not. So, Cropper, yeah. great news for you. The yeah. woman had a normal IQ, no signs of depression or psychosis. Psychosis. That's psychosis. The one. And had not been subject to any abuse, according to her case report. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Well, she just blacked out when she was pissed. But, Sir Grover, mm. the, the toy had caused her potentially life-threatening damage. The woman was... Oh, fucking hell, Sir Grover, I've just seen what I've got to say. <laughs> I can't wait for this. The woman was suffering from a rare vesico-vaginal fistula. A vaginal fistula, yeah. 
an abnormal tract which allows urine to flow into the vagina. She also had an obstructive... See, I would mean no good as a doctor. Do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? Which bit? I I can put this into terms you'll know. So, girl, I'm, I'm, I'm quite well educated. Thank you very much. I know what's going on. Okay, she's got a hole in her knee, but the wrong <laughs> end. The wrong end. She also had an obstructive uropathy, where a yeah. blockage in the bladder causes urine to back up oh. into the kidneys. This is fucking oh. horrific. This woman, this poor, poor woman. After the best part bit... of her day is having a five-inch sex doll, sex <laughs> in there. Sex doll. Imagine that. Arms where, and legs. where is your brain going? Well, it's been in, it's been in there for ten years. I mean, yeah. it, it, that's where babies grow. After removing the toy, doctors managed to repair the damage, and the woman was later discharged. One doctor at the hospital, who was not willing to comment on the patient's specific the patient's specific case, confirmed it was highly unusual for such a large foreign object to go unnoticed in the majority of instances by patients or their partners. This is because oh, it's like we're getting very very medical here. Oh God! This is because the vagina is full of nerve endings and is extremely sensitive. <laughs> hey, we know what you mean, you dirty dog. <laughs> do we? Do we know what he means? <laughs> do you know what he means? I, I know. I don't. Okay, okay. The patient's case, reported in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, is the first time a sex toy has been left inside a woman for as long as a decade. God, Would you like to see a picture, Sagora? Oh God, of her with it in her or no no just Oh just... right, okay, fine. Wait, is it a picture of it before or after it spent a decade a pic- inside her? The picture of the toy after. Oh but it's God. like it's not like graphic, it's just like you know, like a X ray type thing. Oh yeah, yeah, go on, go on, yeah, yeah, it's in there. I'll uh, I'll chuck that in there with What the fuck go. is that? Uh, so I'll send, you a, snapped off I'll the send you a picture of the vagina, so bear with me. Whoa, 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 whoa. The x-ray. Oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so it's like a bit that snapped off the top. It's almost like a plug, if you know what I mean, people. Yes. Um, but something snapped off it, and I'm assuming it snapped off inside her. I would imagine, so she didn't. She didn't break it on the outside and then oh think, "Oh, I will tell you what, I'll do. I'll put it in the <laughs> fufu." Oh my god, that's huge! Well, hey, that's what she said. So, uh, in context: it's the size of her hip. The size of her hip bone is the size of this thing. Okay, I've got a couple of um, a couple of things, but I, I took. Have you finished with the? Article? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Proceed. Yep. Um, number number. Ooh, let's go with number one. Um, how don't you notice? Like if you move the wrong way, you would notice that and you feel it and think, "Oh, that hurts." Mm. So how would she have not? Do you know what I mean? How would you not notice something that big? I mean, if... ten years of movement, so grow up. Whether you're walking, That's the other thing. That's the whether thing. whether you're being absolutely riddled. Um, 
you yeah. would imagine you would feel it, wouldn't you? Like, yeah, definitely. And hang on, sorry, sorry. Can I just? So this was in. The, this is such an awful conversation to have two men, but here we go. Go on. This was in her vagina. Yes. Yes. In her fufu, her JJ. Yes. So. A nonna. She's been sexually active. This was actually my second. In point. this time. Yeah. Why the hell has the man not? inserted himself <laughs> and then thought and then stopped and go oh you've got some kind of corkscrew at the end of it um well my dad uh, the only polite way i can think of putting this is maybe uh the equipment that he has can only splash round in the shadow end <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough you've um, never said that before have you <laughs> never oh. <laughs> that's a fast rule um, um yes so he might have just dipped a toe in the shallow end instead of being able to uh completely experience the entire pool if you get my drift um yes however on the comment of the partner husband boyfriend whatever he is how emasculated i was to how emasculated would you feel if your wife came home and said, look, so I went and got that pain that I've been having sorted out. Um, turns out there's been something inside my vagina that I've had to have surgically removed. How masculated would you feel? Bearing in mind, you've been there. You, you've planted your flag. You have been in the same place as this thing that's been in there for a decade. And she said to you, yeah, you didn't notice it? You didn't notice it. It's a good thing she's obviously not had children during this time, isn't it? Could you... Because she's you 38. Yeah. 38 at the time. So 28. T- 10 years ago is 28. And she's not had kids. Oh, that's quite sad. Unless she did, and that was the baby's first rattle. Are we going to move on? <laughs> no, 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 no. There's one more thing. One more oh, thing. okay. Um, oh. So, genuinely, from like a guy's point of view, we don't know the complete workings of because it's something that guys don't want. That guys don't want to ruin safe spaces. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, but one of these has like a side-on uh, X-ray of her standing up. I'm assuming she's, I think she's standing up in the photo. She might be lying down, but. Um, can you see? So it's not a million miles away from like where her rib cage is, I think that is. If I saw what I'm seeing here, I'd be freaked out. Like genuinely, as a guy, I'd be freaked out and saying, how did that kinky thing that we did that one time 10 years ago, a quarter of your life ago, because she's nearly 40, how has that only just reared its plastic head again? Oh. Sakura, I don't know the answer to that. I'm sorry. I don't think if, I don't think I've ever had, I don't think I would ever have sex again. Like, genuinely, I. I, I... Oh, it feels like that at the moment, Sakura, let alone, you know. Whoa. I'm talking for for me oh, necessarily, not you. That's fine. But yes, so 
woman has lodged has had something lodged in her that's mm. now if I was a boyfriend though I'd have to I don't even know what I'd do I'd just have a breakdown or maybe he thought that he could see things were about to kick off so he got out of there maybe he was never in there <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's only 10 birthdays Matt Dyer <laughs> on that note let's crack on <laughs> Well, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. It's finally the final part of our Reddit story. But to get there, we're going to have to cross the Bridge of Banter and go through the Forest of Funnery and visit our friend Sam Cropper in our section, Storytime with sam gather around everyone before i start though any artistic fans out there please draw the bridge of banter and the forest of funnery <laughs> that would be a, to be fair that would be a great merch idea that is the christmas gift of christmas gifts indeed okay. so we are on the final part of the dollhouse at Vandalay. Man, mm. you've—it's uh, safe to say that parts of this has creeped you out. Parts of it's been scary, even. And parts a... of it... Sorry, I'm just yawning. Um, it's a very weird story, isn't it? Um, yes. But I'm looking forward to listening to the final part of this epic, epic marathon we've got—an epic saga. So, it is. without further ado, let's get into it. This is the final part. I didn't have to think twice about finding my light. The moment Mrs. Claymore's voice entered my thoughts, I knew where to look. And no, it was not inside of me. That which I was, the destructive powers I possessed. All the gifts from below, stemming from the darkness. And I had to face it. I was made the same stuff as the bullmen around me, but I did have something they didn't. Someone. My light. My light was the kid that packed lunches for school when there were no adults around to give a shit about me if I went or not. My virtue lay in the teenager that slept on the floor at the foot of my bed, preventing a slew of foster fathers from entering my room in the middle of the night. Everything good and decent Every benevolent act, any selflessness on my part, could all be attributed to the person that single-handedly raised me. Ronnie. How had I missed it? So wrapped up in my own powers, so self-assured and confident in my ability to turn Vandalie on its head, if I had just taken a second of my time to focus on Ronnie perceived the warm glow that radiated from inside him. I hadn't been looking. I was sedated 
by darkness, so tempted by the fleeting lights of injured girls, I'd made excuses telling myself I wanted to rescue them when deep down I was just hungry for their diminished light. I would have crossed the line too. I would have given it, given in to the bullmen if Ronnie hadn't come back for me. With Mrs. Claymore's silicon protecting my ears, I could work through all of these thoughts and feelings in a span of seconds. The truth had always been there, deep down. It was just a shame that it had taken this long for me to see it. Ronnie lay on the filthy ground of the chamber, his basic green hoodie stained with blood and dirt from the rocks. He was curled in on himself, hands over his head, protecting his skull from the blows of the bullmen. The slight, sorry, the sight of it released a wave of sorrow, but I had to suppress in order to help him. There wasn't much time. Mr. Claymore was bound to notice that I was no longer crumpled in a heap of agony on the ground, and I had to act fast. I closed my eyes and zoned in on Ronnie, knocking into the many walls protecting his core. This was why I hadn't noticed it before, the sheer magnitude of his power, his light. He had tucked it away in a safe space, cautious not to let it spill out. I wondered if it was a conscious effort or just part of his nature. Let me in. I sent my thoughts straight to his, gently knocking at the door of his soul. I know what to do now. Intuitively, I knew what I was looking for, and I still wasn't prepared for it. It was more than a ball of light, more than flames or fireworks or a goddamn supernova out of space. Even comparing it to the sun feels half-arsed. Imagine all that is warm, good, radiant and pure. Picture it growing somewhere for decades, hidden away from all that can diminish it. Visualise it as something so bright and clear that it doesn't damage the eye, but it lets you see and understand everything with total confidence. A nirvana that envelops you like your favourite childhood blanket. And that was Ronnie's soul. I let my darkness settle at the bottom like a makeshift coal through his boisterous flame. I channeled every last bit of draining power to boost Ronnie's light, to send it bursting out of him. I opened my eyes. Those that had been attacking Ronnie now lay at his feet, their bodies contorted in suffering as the bloodied rocks fell from their hands. Some of the bullmen had ripped off their masks, exposing hideous burns, with parts of skin bubbling from their proximity to the light. I could see they were screaming, and half wished I could hear them, but Miss Claymore's anti-hearing aids held firmly in place, securing my mind from the noise that had so nearly driven me insane. The rest of the chanting bullmen wasted no time in turning around and dashing up the tunnel to escape. I could understand it. I was too far from Ronnie to get burnt, 
but even so, I felt all the power I had sourced from the darkness shriveling up inside of me, cowering at the potency of his energy. My cousin stood tall and radiant, his skin glowing like an LED nightlight. His eyes were closed, and I imagined he was doing something very similar to what I did every time I tried to use my powers. He wasn't trying to make objects fly or destroying things, but he was reducing every dark energy around him to little more than a speck of dust, rendering every sick fuck, including myself, completely impotent. I stared in awe, forgetting my surroundings, forgetting all about the very real threat of Mr. Claymore and the dying girl behind my back. When I finally came to my senses, it was already too late. I turned around to see Mr. Claymore's face inches from the dead girl's lips, breathing in the last of her essence. No! I cried out, running over without thinking. Powerless as I was in Ronnie's light, I still wished there was some way to save the girl. Now, what happened next is, is hard to explain. One moment, I was just a few feet away from Mr. Claymore, running at him blindly with nothing but rage and guilt fueling my steps. The next thing I know, my head snapped to the right, my neck aching as it urged my torso to rotate with it. My legs started carrying me the other direction, and the deaf silence in my mind was broken by an unwelcome intruder. Such pity, Lou, Mr. Claymore's voice purred in my ear. We could have been so great together. We still can, actually. We just need to take care of this little problem standing in our way. My legs bobbed along in rigid movements as I strained every muscle to fight the parasitic intruder inside my mind and limbs. My head was down, facing the ground, staring at an ancient layer of blood and dust that coated the chamber floor. The closer I got to Ronnie, the hotter my skin grew. It was a bit like falling asleep on a beach, sizzling under the rays of a vicious summer sun. Only, instead of sleep, it was like I was just lying there, paralysed, feeling every cell of my derma screaming in, in agony. Ronnie must have opened his eyes and seen me coming towards him. I couldn't actually see because I was sure to be blinded if I looked up while this closed him. I felt an inkling of relief as the light in the chamber started to recede. I, or we, lifted our head to look at Ronnie's concerted face, concerned face, mouthing something at me. I was still deaf, so I didn't understand what he was saying. My heart dropped when I felt my own mouth and tongue moving in response, making words and probably sounds I couldn't perceive. It's the weirdest feeling not knowing what message you just communicated because your brain wasn't there to initiate it. Whatever Mr. Claymore just said to Ronnie, it seemed to ease his mind, and my cousin nodded in response. I saw the glow of his skin fade until we were shrouded in nothing but the dim lights of blood rock fire. If only I still had control of my mouth to scream, I would have done so. 
it hit me then like a glass of water spilling on my face. The bullfucker had told Ronnie to withdraw his light so that we could approach. So we could feel his power return. And my darkness swelled, mixing with Mr. Claymore. In a high-inducing sensation, I tried so hard not to enjoy. It was like having sugar again after sticking to a low-carb diet for a year. Like sex with a crush after a dry spell. My power returned in waves of pleasure and potency. It trickled down from my head to toe, spreading to my fingers and toes. I still had no control over it. But it was a type of submission that felt good. This is just a fraction of what an eternity together holds for us, Mr. Claymore teased inside my head. Just one thing standing in our way. My body was only inches away from Ronnie now. Arms spread wide, as though he was going in for a hug. I saw Ronnie's face soften, relief washing over it in waves. He looked so much younger when he smiled. Just like any guy in his twenties. Gone was the man who never got to be a boy. He thought this was over. His voice moved to say something else as Mr. Claymore raised our hands to Ronnie's throat. Shock froze Ronnie's face in a childlike expression of wonder. He grabbed my arms, gently tugging them away as Mr. Claymore fueled our darkness to latch my thumbs onto Ronnie's Adam's apple. Ronnie just looked bewildered. He, he tried to push me away as my fingertips dug into his skin, causing droplets of blood to roll out and smear across my fingernails. There was a hint of pain in his eyes as he struggled to breathe. He stopped pushing me away, his gaze searching my face for answers. Why are you doing this? His lips asked. No, my mind screamed. I can't do this, no matter what, anything but this. Never, never, Ronnie. I summoned every last bit of consciousness I will I had left which was not much I remember Mr. Claymore feeling his, his darkness is and then Mr. Claymore's words from the very first time facing the hygienist came into my head I tapped into the darkness that her husband, Mr. Claymore, couldn't touch. What he was using now, it was more of a collective energy of Vanderly House and the underground lair of the Bullmen. There was more darkness in me that was not his to own. It wasn't easy, but I dove right in. I tapped into the lonely nights of a four-year-old spent wondering why my parents didn't want me. The dreadful disappointment of meeting young couples who took me home for a weekend to see if I was a good fit, then sent me back like I was some stray they were afraid would shit on their rug. I dug up everything that happened before the system matched me with a distant biological relative a stay over, transferring me to the foster home where Ronnie lived. The darkness of an abandoned child proved to be enough, but it wasn't a lot of power.
but it was enough to loosen the grasp on Ronnie's neck and pull my hands back to my own throat. Stop! Mr Claymore's voice lined with hatred. What are you doing? Would it kill him too? I doubted it. Either way, I could never stand by and watch someone hurt Ronnie. Even if that someone was me. I kept channeling my darkness, fighting Mr Claymore's power over my body every step of the way. He let up, controlling my legs and focused on fighting just my grasp on my own neck. And I fell to the ground, my knees exploding in pain at the bad angle of the fall. My mind glazed over at every attempt of breathing brought less and less oxygen. It was a sad way to go. Surrounded by darkness and silence, unable to utter a single word to the person who had made my life worth living. So this is dying, I thought. Just as everything went black. Sounds. Wonderfully mundane flutters of fabric, shuffling and light feet treading somewhere nearby. These were the first things I'd noticed before the distant reality of my near-death experience caused me to half-jump into an upright position, my eyes popping open in terror. The serene Vandalie decor welcomed me back to consciousness. I was sat on the left part of a very large and soft canopy bed in one of the many bedrooms. A dirt-covered, dishevelled Ronnie sat on a much too small chair at my side. The other half of the bed held the girl we'd actually managed to save. I noticed the relaxed expression on her sleeping face and the rosiness of her cheeks. Mrs Claymore entered the room with a metal tray of bandages and scissors. Good, you're up, she said, turning to Ronnie. I told you, she would be just fine. Ronnie's still looking concerned as he took my right hand in his, nodded. I noticed that it felt strange. I pulled away to see that the silicon patch from Mrs. Claymore was gone, leaving behind a faint set of scars from the army Swiss knife. I scrambled to feel my damaged ankle through my sock and found it was much the same. The wounds had been healing underneath the silicon after all, which is probably why they'd been so itchy. Mrs. Claymore made her way over to Pixie's side of the bed, sitting down gently on the free spot near her only arm. The mistress of Vanderly slid a black elastic band from her wrist, tying up her grey hair into a ponytail. She started unwrapping the dressing of the amputation wound on Pixie's arm. I had to look away for a moment, placing my hand back in Ronnie's. Are we safe here? I finally asked. For now, Mrs Claymore replied, as she placed both hands over Pixie's shoulder, focused on covering the flesh in dull skin. My husband is nowhere to be found, she continued, after neither Ronnie nor I said anything. I can't sense him in or below Vanderly. What the hell is this place? Ronnie asked, tightening his grip on my hand. And why did you help us? Good questions, I thought. 
anticipating a vague response. Think of Vanderly House as one of the many, many gates to hell, she said, smiling as she looked up at our expressions. Or something like that. Hell is a human concept created to try and define the ancient truth of evil and good, darkness and light, white, black. They have no real definitions outside the realm of humanity. The darkness bubbling below, the light shining down from us in the sky. We call them what we like, but they are just there. One or the other is to be found in all of us. Sometimes a blend of the two. I listened, feeling my emotions pucker in response. I had no doubt Mrs. Claymore had spoken the truth. But it wasn't pleasant to think of myself as part of the darkness below. I shuddered, remembering the girl I had so nearly killed with my own hands. Her death was on me. If only I'd focused on bringing her back in time, instead of listening to the awful man's seductive whispers. Mrs. Claymore finished working on Pixie's arm, leaving behind a perfectly smooth patch of silicon. She moved her hands to work on the girl's ribcage, and I watched in wonder as the jagged edges started shifting under the bruised skin of Pixie's chest. Her broken ribs were being healed one by one from inside her body. That doesn't explain why you took the girl from me and sent me back to save Lou, said Ronnie. Then, turning his back to me, I would have gone anyway, but she told me you needed me and promised she would help Pixie. I didn't know if I should believe her, but I felt like I had no choice. I couldn't risk losing you. I felt gratitude tingling in the corners of my eyes. It had been such a long emotional day. There were still so many questions. But it was such a relief to be alive. To be with Ronnie and, and Pixie and even Mrs Claymore herself. My role in this is hardly heroic. And mostly complacent. Mrs Claymore paused through her words. It's a conundrum of sorts. Um, my powers are different from Lou's in that they've always been to heal and, and beautify. The ugliest places, the worst wounds ever since I was a child, I could make them beautiful again. Um, unfortunately, the power only ever came to me where unspeakable cruelty manifested itself. Places like Vandalie with death at every corner, and mutilated corpses lounging around in armchairs. I took a sharp breath. Had I really expected something different? Maybe not, but I had hoped. There was a very real part of me that had pictured me and non-dull Cynthia sitting somewhere a few months down the line, talking through things, laughing and crying together, dissecting the horrors of Vandalie, in comfortable companionship. I could still have that with Pixie, maybe, if the PTSD of her ordeal ever let her live normally again. So you take the bodies of the girls they use for their rituals 
and you make them into dolls? It sounded so sick, but also made sense. A very twisted, fucked up sort of sense. The problem with having powers was the itch to use them. And I could see how Mrs. Claymore had given in to the desire. I've always wanted to be a mother. Mrs. Claymore's face lost its composure, a wrinkled sadness pulling her features down for a second before she caught herself. That's another thing you'll learn about the Dark Ones, Lou. We're born from darkness, from a void, and thus we cannot harbour new life. The silly boys that run around in masks below ground are convinced that they can still interbreed with the light, bring about the birth of an almighty sun. They are powerless past the gates of places like Vanderley, you see. That's why the world goes on as it does, but they will never let up. They'll keep trying to breed with a carrier. The world over, women are dying for this cause. And there's not a thing I can do about it, but dress up their remains in pretty outfits and playhouse. I almost wanted to ask Mrs. Claymore to see Cynthia and the girls one last time, as they really were. But then I thought better of it, unable to stand the sight of another dead woman that day. Still, the gruesome visuals of the parlour room, in all its decaying certainty, weighed heavy on my conscience. Ask one last question before I'm done with your friend, Mrs. Claymore said, draining the bruising fawn of Pixie's broken toes. It would be best for you to leave then, and I advise you don't come back. But even if you do, you will find this house abandoned. I have no reason to stay here now that my husband is gone. I don't particularly care for the man, and I'd rather go somewhere he can't find me. There were so many questions I wanted to know. I wanted to know more about the bullmen, more about Mr. Claymore, and the, about the powers I possessed, as well as Ronnie's ability to dull them. In the end, I just asked what I cared about the most. Will I see you again? I asked, hopeful despite everything. There is so much I still don't know or understand. We may cross paths again if you come looking for the darkness. But I hope your kin convince, convince you otherwise, she nodded at Ronnie with a soft smile. He's your best chance at doing things right, Lou. Never forget that. Ronnie looked down embarrassed. I smiled, marvelling at his ability to witness and hear everything and still remain the calmest presence in the room. Pixie stirred awake as Mrs. Claymore finished up, taking the tray as she walked out of the room. Predictably, the poor girl's experience caused a severe mental breakdown as the reality of her survival settled around her. I tried to take her hand, but she shuddered at my touch, shrinking from me, her walls threatening to deafen me all over again. Ronnie, however, had better luck in approaching her and she actually let him wrap. She actually let him wrap her in his arms, where she sobbed into his chest until finally she calmed down enough for us to make our way out of Vanderley. Mrs. Claymore was long gone by then, 
I can't tell you how good it felt to breathe the air outside as we walked away from Vanderlee and its many secrets for the last time. The sun was setting in the sky and I had to remind myself that only a few days had passed since I'd first stepped foot into that house. It felt like an age. I'd faced so many fears, discovered so much about myself and Ronnie, and opened my mind to a plethora of horrors. A couple of months had passed since then. It had never made the official news, but whispers about Vandley spread through the area like wildfire. A beautiful mansion, mansion? No. A beautiful mansion with 11 dead bodies inside. Weird underground chambers with more death to find. No official owner to be thought of or ever seen. Young, attractive victims. People couldn't stop talking about it in class. And criminal justice lecturers were packed with freshmen wanting to ask professors if it was true. Conspiracy theories flared up all over campus. And I marvelled at how tame they sounded compared to what actually happened. Pixie went to stay with Ronnie after everything. And she still hasn't moved out. I don't think she will in the near future either. I haven't pried, but judging by the smiles they exchange when I come over for dinner, I think they make each other happy. Ronnie and I only recently breached the subject of me almost killing him. He says he feels guilty for believing for a moment that I was the one doing it. But that's just Ronnie for you. Feeling bad for not assuming possession in the face of death. I asked about Mr. Claymore. Asked if he remembers seeing where the guy went. But Ronnie doesn't. His eyes were closed when that man entered my mind. And he just seemed to disappear after that. I guess consuming a girl's light gave him enough power to possess my body from a distance, but honestly, I don't even know. Part of me wants to say goodbye for good, but this doesn't really feel like the end, does it? More like an interim. For now, I will focus on school, on making new friends, and maintaining a close relationship with Ronnie and Pixie. I still dream about Vanderly about Mr. Claymore in particular, his eyes always twinkling, beckoning me to join him in the darkness. I won't though, no matter how much I want to sometimes. One thing bothers me though. There's a frat house on campus that's been awfully quiet ever since the whole dollhouse ordeal. None of the members have been showing up to class and other students have noticed I'm not one for idle gossip, but it felt meaningful. Yesterday, I was having lunch with Ronnie and Pixie at an off-campus diner and came home to the worst possible time for parking. The lots were, were packed and I had to get a spot a couple of blocks away. On my way back to dorms, I passed the frat house and noticed something that made my dinner in my stomach churn with nausea. There was no doorbell anywhere near the entrance to the house. Only a familiar bronze bullhead knocker mounted on a large blue door.
There you go, Meta. What an ending. I like that it's been wrapped up, sort of. Yes. It's also, it's quite, you know, all the, all the stories we've had so far have been ones that are completely wrapped up. Yeah. But this one is kind of like, well, it's wrapped up, but there could, there would, you know, potential to there to, like, if this was a film, it, yeah. the potential is there for the second film. Yeah. 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 Um, and Ronnie getting with Pixie, the dirty what dog. A dirty dog. What a lad. What an absolute lad. Well, there we go, Matt. That is the end of the Dollhouse saga. It's quite a long one, that one, so grab up the story, oh, wouldn't it? God, yeah, I know. My voice is going. Oh. Yes. I still, I still, to this day, think that we peaked too early. That first story we did with, uh, with Alison. Yeah. I don't think anything will ever beat it. I have to say that uh, the one with the policeman and the, the hut. Yeah, the cabin. Yeah, that, that was a really good one. That's a close second, but I don't know. I just don't think anything will ever beat the well, first one. But I, if memory serves, we now... And that's nearly all we've got time um, for this week. Any new series or anything until the well, new year. Well, so... Didn't Maybe. do one last week because, you know, some of us turned up, some of us didn't. Beats Alison. Um, Lee turned up and pulled out the bag for us. Let us exactly. hope so, Sagura. Um Let us hope and so. And as this is potentially my last episode of this year, mm-hmm. I have pulled out a Christmas, Christ, <laughs> a Christmas classic. Um, okay. It's my favourite Christmas song. It's the first song I ever learnt on the piano. Oh, okay. Here's a quick question, Sigura. Yeah. In the film... Yeah. Who sung the song? Alan Jones? No. Everyone Uh, says it's Alan Jones. Alan? Alan Alan, Alan Jones. Alan Alan Jones is a Formula One driver. (laughs) I do apologise. Alan. Alan Jones did sing and release this song but it was never in the film the film version was sung by a little choir boy uh called uh sam Crop- <laughs> uh, <laughs> little choir boy called uh peter orty um so alan jones fun fact that is a good uh quiz question as well so he is famous for stealing someone else's song he's he gets <laughs> pretty much well, well, I think I he might have. I don't know whether he released a, if he sung it as a little boy before the film or after the film. It must have been after the film because the video, anyway. Shall we the just crack on with of, the yeah. dramatic? Uh, yes, carry on. Yes. <clears throat> We're walking in the air. We're floating. In the moon-lit sky, the people far below are sleeping as we fly. I'm holding very tight. I'm riding in the midnight blue. I'm finding I can fly. 
so high above with you. And there we go, Sakura. That is the classic song from the snowman walking in the air. By Anna Jones, the bloke that stole it from someone else. Yes. Well, now that really is all we've got time for. It is. It's a bumper episode, this episode, isn't it? It has indeed, Sakura. It has indeed. Well, if one week is too long to wait for your semantics fix, but how can they get it? They can go to our Instagram, Sagora, which is at Samama Antics. Uh, they can go to our TikTok, which is at Samama Antics. They can go to our Facebook page, which is the Samama Antics podcast. They can go to our Twitter page, which is Sama underscore podcast. They can go to our Twitch page, which is also Sama underscore podcast and has fuck all on it because rest in peace, PC. This could be the last episode, Sagora, with this PC. Oof. What a treat. What a treat. Um, I think that's all of them. You can be a dinosaur and send us an email. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can send us an email to samantixpodcast at gmail.com or you can get involved with the conversations that we have over on the Discord page. Yes. Yes. And mm. uh, you can always search stuff on ACAST because we are ACAST content creators. Did you like last week how I put I it did. in just as a normal conversation? And then Lee was like, oh, it's a shame you did that because I was going to do a Sam and then remind you of it. I was hoping that one of you would do, would actually mention it. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but all that's left to say is now we'll chat to you next week, or at least I will. Maybe me. We're not 100% yet. We'll see. But if not, have a very Merry Christmas. And I wish you every success and a happiness in the new year good gay. night and i am so i know that well, Sakura, that was a <laughs> lo- what you're on about that was a lovely outro from the fact that the people whose favorite voice on the sam antics podcast might not be with them again this year they will be because the christmas special stop fucking shitting on my parade and let me do my outro for the lovely people farewell <laughs> There we go. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Good night. Good night.